0: So I got a simple question for you. How many of you like multiple choice questions when there's only one answer? Raise your hand. I don't have that for you this morning, but I'm pretty close, okay? I've got one question I want to start off with this morning. I want to ask you one simple question. Who would you rather get cookies from? Which of these two would you rather get cookies from? Yeah, I mean, if you're a smart aleck, you said, hey, but we all know you're lying, right? Most of us would probably rather get a cookie from B, correct? Who says B? Raise your hand. Yeah, there's B's all in the house. Hope you're not allergic. Um, (laughs) Get it? (laughs) Polite laughter. Thank you so much. You're going to snort soon, aren't you? Okay, good. Listen, here's the deal. It seems like a no-brainer to look at that picture and say, I'd much rather have cookies from the lady that's the the B-side. But here's a really important, fundamental truth to the Christian faith that we actually miss on a regular basis. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, okay? We're going to talk about genuine hospitality, Doesn't sound overly spiritual. This is probably going to be one of the more practical messages that we, and I'm pretty practical, right? I mean, I can't hide that at all. Um, There are people that do a much better job with the fire and brimstone type teaching and preaching, but I'm just a teacher at heart, and I'm very practical, and today's going to be one of the most practical messages we've ever talked about, but it is going to show us why at the gathering genuine hospitality is not just a phrase, okay? If you've got one of those sheets, you're one of the lucky 100 that got a sheet, I want you to write at the top of this. Here's the blanks that you want to fill in. Okay? This is our seventh core value. We're working through a series called At Our Core. And this is the value this week. We value genuine hospitality and expect open homes to lead to open hearts. We value genuine hospitality and we expect open homes to lead to open hearts. Hospitality is a critical component to sharing your faith. Okay? Now, here's three things you've got to remember about genuine hospitality. Number one, hospitality is important. We live in the South, yes? We are not this morning talking about Southern hospitality. Because Southern hospitality works like this. How are you doing? Please don't answer it because I really don't care. Hey, let's get together sometime. You ever hear that? Here's what you should do next time. Because we're not, you know, if you're from the north, you already know this happens. But in the south, next time somebody says, hey, let's get together sometime, whip out your day timer, whip out your iPhone, get your app for your calendar and say when. And they'll freeze. Because they didn't really mean for, they didn't mean that. They just meant, how you doing? (laughs) Hey, let's get together sometime. How about next Thursday? Um. I'm washing the dog. Can we reschedule? Can we reschedule the thing we never scheduled? <laughs> so we're not, talking about, we're not talking about southern hospitality. We're talking about true, genuine hospitality. It is given high importance in the Bible. Okay? Um, first, turn to 1 Peter 4.9. 1 Peter 4.9. Paul says, Peter says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, to get the full context, let's back up a couple verses, okay? Look at verse 7. Here's what it says. The end of all things is near. Does that sound familiar? October 2011. I think we've heard something about the world ending. December 21st, 2012. So, by my calculations, we don't have a lot longer left. Man, we hear this stuff all the time. Okay, so what happens in America, probably all over the world, if somebody comes up walking, holding a picket sign that says the end is near. Do we listen or do we ignore? We ignore them. Right. Because we think they're crazy and maybe they are. But the truth of the matter is, if somebody were walking up to you and they said, listen, seriously, the end is near and you believed them. Would you listen more closely to what they have to say? I know I would. I would like to hear what the last instructions are. And so here's what the last instructions were. The end of all things is, the, is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. It's, hospitality is one of the things that he mentions. It's like it's about to end. It's almost all over. And what we would normally do is, in the face of, a car, of, a, of an apocalypse, we would go to Walmart and get bread and milk. <laughs> right? It might snow. <laughs> it's crazy. I, I, mean, I, love, I love living in Albemarle. I love that we're, we, are, we have to succumb to the Charlotte area stations on TV. I love how they always tell me when it's going to snow in the mountains. Dude, I don't live in the mountains, and I don't care at all I don't I mean I, I don't even know anybody in Watuga County so can I get back to my TV program thank you so much you know, we, we live in a man if they just come on and say it might snow there's a 0.001 percent chance of snow and it may be one half inch Walmart is jacked with people fighting over gallons of milk so we typically think this the end is near I'm gonna take care of me is that fair to say I'm going to start stockpiling. I'm not only going to stockpile canned goods in my basement, I'm getting a gun. Because if the end is near and there's no more cash, people are going to, be, they're going to know I've got, my, I've got like stuff in my basement. And they're going to come to my house and try to steal it. And I'm going to shoot them. How very Christian. How very Christian. So Peter says the end is, the end is near. The end is near, and so what I want you to do is I want you to go to Walmart. I don't want you to buy one gallon of milk. I want you to buy five. I don't want you to get one loaf of bread. I want you to get ten. And I want you to tell people, come to my house. I got the food. Offer hospitality. Peter's like, hey, the world's going to blow up. Throw a party. Which sounds like something they do out in L.A., doesn't it? That's what they always do in those movies. Isn't that crazy, like aliens attack? and they don't know what it is. I wonder what that thing is It's glowing red like it's going to shoot us. Hey, I know, let's go on top of a building and get closer and have a party. Stupid, stupid people. He says offer hospitality. It's, it's to be done without grumbling. The word grumbling literally means a secret debate. And now we come to it, don't we? Now we have found biblical evidence of Southern hospitality. Because Southern hospitality is like this. Hey, Michael. Dude, man, what's going on? Love you. Can you believe Michael? Can we step in the corner? Let's talk about Michael for a second. Look at what he's wearing, dude. On his head. That's Southern hospitality. Sounds good to the face, but it's done with grumbling. It's done in a back room where we really talk about what we really think about the person that we just invited to our home for dinner. He says, offer hospitality without grumbling. Genuine hospitality is being kind, period. Southern hospitality is acting kind. Genuine hospitality is being kind. Make sense? 1 Timothy 3.2 and Titus 1.8. You can jot those down, read them later. Let me just say this. Those are requirements in the, in the New Testament for biblical leadership in a church. And there's some pretty serious stuff in there, like having good character, not getting drunk all the time. Because that's good, isn't it? I mean, you don't want to have a biblical leader who's always like, hey, can we have communion every week with wine? Here, dip your bread in there, but don't take a lot. You don't want that, right? And you know what's in both of those lists? When, when they write about the requirements for biblical leadership in both of those lists, it says they should be hospitable. In both of them. So basically, if you're a jerk, you don't get to be a leader here. Because the Bible says that. The Bible says that leaders that lead the flock are supposed to be given to hospitality. The King James actually says "given to hospitality" in First Timothy three two, and in Titus one eight it says "lovers of hospitality." These are not people who are just doing it because they have to. I mean, wives, we can you well, I was gonna, what, Did I just say wives? We can relate to that. Can we start this whole message over? Wow. Tweet that. Paul's a woman. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not tempting you, I promise. Can you believe Michael? Can you believe what he's wearing? Um, wives, you can relate to this. Have you ever had um, your husband or maybe husbands you've had your wives just do, they call you and say, by the way, I've got five people coming home. They're with me right now. And you put the smile on your face because you want to be hospitable. But when those five leave and the door closes, oh, yeah. Now we're going to talk about how you will never, ever even think about doing that to me again. Sometimes we are hospitable not because we really want to be, but we've kind of been put in a position to be. And that's not true, genuine. And it's not bad. I'm not saying that when the five people show up, you should have a gun and tell them to get out. I'm just saying at some point, hospitality is not so much what you do, it's who you are. You know when you're around people who have genuine hospitality. You know how you know? It's a real simple test. You just want to be around them more. You don't walk away going, God, I hope I never bump into them. Like you don't go to Walmart peeking around aisles to make sure that person's not there so you can go the other way. People that have genuine hospitality, when you see them in Walmart, you go and say hi. Hi. Because you want to be around them. It's a real simple test. Leaders are men who are given to hospitality. Who love hospitality. We did a series called um, New. And we talked about having a new default. Remember that series? For leaders, hospitality has become their new default. They're not looking to run away from people. They love people. I love when pastors say, man, ministry is great except for the people you know what I say to those ministers? Go flip burgers. You're not supposed to be in the ministry. If you don't love people, get out. Because you're killing people. Now, sometimes you don't like people. Like Michael, if he actually tweeted that, we're going to have a problem. But you got to love people. God says hospitality is important. He puts a high premium on hospitality, so much so that he would actually say, I died for a church, and you can't lead this church unless you love hospitality. It's important, right? Number two dose. Hospitality needs a place. Even though hospitality is something that we are, it typically happens somewhere. Okay, let me explain what I mean by that. In the Bible, um, the place where hospitality happened the most was was the house. It was in the home. So if you actually go and study this, you'll find out that 123 times the word homes or house is used in the gospel and Acts. So here are just some of the things that happened in the New Testament in the days of Jesus and the early church in houses. Are you ready? You can have to write fast or just put your pen down and get this later off the Internet. Church happened, 1 Corinthians 16, 19. Healing happened, Matthew 8, 14 and 17. Matthew 9, 28 through 30. Mark 2, 1 through 13. Mark 5, 38. How many of you just put your pens down just then? You're like, I give up. It's not going to happen. The dead were brought back to life in a house. Mark chapter 5, verse 38. Sinners were saved in a house. Luke 19, 5 through 6. The grieving were comforted. John eleven thirty one. I love this one. Luke five twenty nine. Parties happened in houses. Now we're gonna move on from that because you're already trying to figure out well, when Jesus partied. What does that mean? Did he have a keg of grape juice? <laughs> there was a baby in a mother's womb who was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb, in a house. That almost sounded like a Dr. Seuss book, didn't it? Luke chapter 1, verses 40 and 41. That was John the Baptist. Maybe the most important thing that ever happened in a house is Luke chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, when Jesus was born in one. Not at the Holiday Inn. If that confuses you, go on our website and look at Chris Mythbusters, and you'll understand why. Jesus was born in the house. Deeper teaching. I love this. Deeper teach, teaching took place in houses. Mark chapter 7, verses 17 through 23. Mark 9, 28 to 29. Mark 10, 10 through 12. How many of you picked your pens up earlier and then put them out again? Yeah. You're like, I'm going to give it one more shot? No, I'm not. Here's what I mean by that. Th- these are scriptures where Jesus would be talking to the multitudes and his disciples, those brilliant, brilliant men, would listen to what he had to say, and they would do this. What's he talking about? And they would get from the crowd into a home. And in that smaller intimate setting, the disciples would look at him and go, huh? And he'd go, listen, what I meant by that was, and he would start to teach. Deeper teaching takes place in homes. Here's one that's really going to make you excited about opening up your home to people. Jesus performed in Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 30, a long distance exorcism. Can I get any volunteers to open your home for a small group? I mean, how would you like to be sitting in your house with somebody who is just not quite right? You know they're not quite right because their head is spinning around. Their eyes go red. And while you're sitting there, suddenly they go, and they're fine. That happened in the Bible. In a house. Jesus wasn't even there. Boy, community groups could be good on Wednesday night. (laughs) Mm. In Matthew 26, 18 through 30, and Mark 14, 16 to 25, the Last Supper and the First Communion took place in a house. And write this one down, Matthew 26, 6 through 13, and star it. Just make a big old star next to it. The Bible records that the single greatest act of worship happened in a house. Here's why all this is important. Because a lot of us have grown up expecting that stuff to happen on Sunday. And don't get me wrong, I want all of that to happen on Sunday. Even the long-distance exorcism should be the most awesome service ever. You know, like, what did your preacher talk about? I don't know, but that dude's head quit spinning. It was awesome. (laughs) dude puked, and then it went back in his body. It was crazy. (laughs) But there are six other days during the week that you live in your house when everything we just read happened in a place just like where you live because somebody said, I'll open my home up, I mean I'm a little freaked about the exorcism in the house but I'm pretty stoked that I could actually open my house up to people and see that stuff happen. I could see somebody get get comforted because they've lost a loved one and they're grieving I could actually see somebody walk in and say, man, my, my hand, I, I, think, I think I broke it. And the reason I know is because my arm's going that way. And, you know, you're in your house, and you're like, well, I mean, the Bible says we can anoint you with oil, and I don't have any oil, but I got like Crisco. Can we do that? Scoop it out, rub it on their forehead. Jesus healed their body. I mean, can you imagine watching that arm be healed in your house? We believe that when we open our homes to people, it will in turn open their hearts toward us and eventually to Jesus. If somebody came to your house with a broken arm and you healed them by putting Crisco on their forehead and praying, do you think they'd tell anybody? Um, That's almost as simple as the A-B question earlier. I'm pretty sure they would go out and they would say, I don't exactly know what happened. And yes, I know that my forehead is greasy. I'm going to have acne there. But my arm is healed it used to go that way and now it's like normal i'm pumping iron to show you and they'd say dude what church do you go to you would. stop and go um i forgot to ask but i know where they live you want to go back they say i'm not sure but let that person break their arm and who are they going to call you not the ghostbusters you and they're gonna say, "Where was that house again?" Um, come on with me; I'll show you. And you, they'll take you back in there. They're like, "Hey, dude, get the Crisco out. Let's do it again." Hospi- Hospitality needs a place. I'm just saying it can happen a lot of different places. I mean, we need to be hospitable here, correct? Like, if you're a first-time visitor and you walked in here and the first thing you thought was, "Dude, what prune did that guy eat?" Then. That's not what we want. We want you to feel at home here. We want, we want this to be a place of hospitality. But more times than not, in Scripture, it happened in the home. Open homes lead to open hearts. Number three, hospitality has a price and a payoff. Which sounds really simple, you know, hey, just open your home and watch amazing things happen. But the truth of the matter is there is a price that it will require in order to see the payoff. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 2. We're going to close with this passage Mark chapter 2 is a great example of of this price that you have to pay and then the payoff when you pay it. That was a confusing sentence, wasn't it? The price you have to pay and the payoff when you pay it. All I heard was pay, 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 pow. Mark chapter 2. Let's read it real quick, verses 1 through 12, and then we'll explain it. A few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming Who can forgive sins but God alone? I don't know if you noticed this or not, but they were practicing southern hospitality. Okay? They were whispering among themselves about what just happened. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, I love this. Verse 9, or he turns to them and says, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Verse 12, he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Great story. We've all heard it a bunch of times, and we always read it and go, I love that story. But I want to challenge you to do something this morning a little bit different. Would you be willing to to read this story from the perspective of the homeowner. Okay? Here are the things that this homeowner did as he practiced genuine hospitality. One, verse 2 says, he allowed a crowd to gather. Now, that doesn't sound like such a big deal until your living room that holds 10 has 100. And how many of you know, because you love your home, that becomes kind of a big deal. Can I get a an amen from the ladies in the house? Because the men are like, as long as I can see the big screen TV, it's cool. But the women are going, oh, God, please, what's going to break? What are it going on? hundred people, ah. Okay, it's a little bit of a freak out moment. He allowed a crowd to gather. He allowed Jesus to preach, which at that moment was not becoming a very popular thing to do. Jesus was kind of a polarizing dude. I mean, you can see this here because Jesus caused the religious people to practice southern hospitality. They didn't like him at all, and so this man actually put himself in a position to be guilty of association just by letting Jesus be in the house. Both of those required being outside the comfort, the comfort, the comfortable norm, and then he allowed this, verse four, a mess to happen in his home. And we don't read it like that. We read it romantically, and then Jesus was teaching the crowd, and yea, four friends brought their friend on a mat to Jesus, and brothers, they could not get to him, and they said, beseech us, what shall we do? We shall climb to the roof, and we shall part the tiles, and lower, yea, this man unto Jesus, that he might be healed, and we might live happily ever after, but what happened was, they couldn't get to Jesus. And they grabbed their friend and went up on the, on the roof, and in those days, the roofs were made like this. There was mud, and there was dirt, and there were sticks, anything they could do to make a roof. And so when these guys said, like, they moved the tile, they picked the first tile up to reveal all the dirt, and then the Bible says they started to dig. Now, I don't know how you dig, but we live in North Carolina. So digging to me is like you put the shovel there, you jump on it, and it goes that far into the ground. So then you get your pickaxe, boom, and it goes that far into it because it's like hard to dig around here. But when you're digging, what happens? Does dirt just magically fall into neat piles? No. It goes everywhere. So while Jesus is teaching, at some point he goes, he keeps on going, dirt's falling, sticks over there, People are getting, they're dusting stuff out there. And they're all kind of going, this is weird. But who's freaking out the most? Somewhere in that house is the owner of the house. And he's allowing people to dig through his roof. I mean, I want you to get that. If you don't really get it, we're coming to your house tonight and I'm going to dig through your roof. <laughs> and you will get it illustrated sermon, one you will never forget and I will not pay for. So this this owner allows not only a crowd to gather, not only does he allow Jesus to teach the crowd, but he allows men who he does not know to dig through his roof in order to lower their friend to Jesus. This reminds me of two things, a broken precious moments collection and an angry janitor. Now when Wendy and I first were in youth ministry, we were in Clover, South Carolina living in a farmhouse. Where the floors went like this and nothing, none of our furniture matched because it was all donated, but it all matched the carpet, which kind of shows you how bad the carpet was. And we had teenagers over one night and we're doing this prayer meeting. And so we all kind of gather and we're holding hands and we're praying, you know, and some of the kids, I'd like to say that, like, you know, the Holy Spirit was all over them and they were all into the prayer. But really what it was, they were junior high boys. And so they just didn't want to hold hands. And so, like, they're just doing this and doing this. And eventually, in the middle of the prayer, and Jesus, we heard crash. Nobody's breathing. Open the eyes. Pieces of Precious Moments collection everywhere. And two junior high boys with red faces going, oh, crap. Miss Wendy? What happened, guys? He did it, he did it. I mean, the bottom line is, I don't know who did it, but I know that our Precious Moments collection, gone. And it was like those little small ones. I'm not into that stuff at all, but Wendy was, so it was a big deal, right? Gone. There's a price to pay for hospitality. And that's not a big deal. I mean, goodness gracious, we can all pay higher prices than that. But when you're not willing to pay the price, you become like the angry janitor, who in a church that I worked at, actually got tired of walking into the bathrooms and seeing black scuff marks from tennis shoes. You know what I'm talking about? And so this is where we had youth group, and so she actually wrote out posted notes and stuck them on the wall that said in big bold letters, don't scuff the floors, which I then went and pulled down and ripped up and gave it to her and said, it's your job to clean them. You're the janitor. It's my job to have students come in here that don't know Jesus and will scuff your floors. That's why you're paid. That's what I'm paid to do. Love you. Don't ever put these signs back up. If you do, I'll just pull them down again. If you need me to help you with the scuff marks, I'll help you with the scuff marks. But don't put it up again. That's not true, biblical, genuine hospitality. And I tell you this because there will come a day when we will not be in this place but we will be in a place that feels more like our place. And we will be tempted to say things like this, "Um, (laughs) whoa, we don't do that here. Why not? Well, we don't wanna mess up our carpet. Mm. Okay, we're gonna mess up the carpet because that's what happens. I, I want a home that's lived in. If I come to your house, is it lived in? I don't wanna walk into your house and go, dude, I'm afraid to move. I'm afraid to breathe. Because I'll either break something or they'll kill me for breathing. It's lived in. I don't want us to be a church that puts up signs that don't make a mess. Like, dude, make a mess. We're just glad to have you here. It has a price and it has a payoff. Look at the payoff. Verses 11 and 12, the man gets healed. Verse 12, the people are amazed. Here's what I want you to get, okay? Okay. This is not a story in the Bible about a man who wrote Jesus a check to fund a healing service in downtown Capernaum. We're really good as churches at writing checks. Hey, that's a great idea. Here, go far away and do it. Love you. Mean it. He did not fund a healing service in downtown Capernaum. He opened his home to the healer to come in. And he never said stop when his roof got busted up. As a result, hearts were opened to Jesus. Let me see if we can close it this way. A lot of people see the church like Mr. T. Remember Mr. T? A pitiful. That's how they picture the church. A little bit of a scowl on his face, arms folded and closed. I believe that this is a better picture of the church. Christ the Redeemer statue in Rio. Now I get it, we can talk all day long about how weird it is that there's a statue of Jesus literally looking down over one of the most vile cities in, America, in, in the world, but this is the picture. Arms open, face full of love. So here's the, here's the deal for us. We are kind of born closed. Okay? We, we kind of keep to ourselves. It doesn't make us bad. It makes us human. It makes us naturally human. But if we're truly Christ followers and He's open, we can't be closed. It really is as simple as that. So here's, here's how it applies to your life. Let's talk about next steps. You hear a message like this, what's your next step? You walk out of here, what do you do next? It might be your next step is to open your heart to Jesus. It's very possible that you're here, you've never made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, the best move you can ever make is not just to open your arms, but open your heart. To say to Jesus, I'm not going to be close to you anymore. I'm not sure about the gathering because they seem a little bit weird. I like them, but weird. But I'm pretty convinced about you, Jesus, and so I'm going to open my heart to you. I want to follow you. I'm going to give my life to you. I'm I'm going to make my goal the rest of my life to live for your glory and to trust what you did on the cross for my salvation. That's the best move you can make. And if you've never made that, your application from this message is we're going to pray that God saves your soul through Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, if you've already done that, what's your next step from this place? Possibly it's, um, it's going to a community group this week. I mean, can we get that practical? No, we can't. Dude, don't be asking me for another night during the week. That's closed, right? But opening the possibility. Here's what I know. I love this. The community group is the hardest step you'll ever take. And it's the most rewarding one. I hear it all the time. I mean, I, I could. We wouldn't have time for it. But I could ask every single person that's been to a community group to come up here. There's about 40 of you that go. And here's what, what you hear them say. I didn't want to go, but I'll never not go now. It's just something happens. There's just openness because open homes create open hearts. And people start sharing what's going on in their lives. And you're kind of sitting there going, wow, you don't get this on a Sunday morning. No kidding. No kidding. That's why one of the things that happened in the New Testament was Jesus would teach the multitudes. And then they'd get in the home and start eating. And the disciples would go, what's that mean? And they would talk it out. That might be your next step. If you're already going to a community group, then you know that a a couple of them are really packed. Like too many people. Maybe the next step for you is to open up your home. Did he really just say that? Did I just say open your home? You want me to open my home and maybe somebody's going to like dig through my roof or break something that's really important to me. Look, I'm just praying if you're a Tar Heel fan that you open your home and all your memorabilia gets broken. I'm kidding. I had to say that because my team state is out and I'm a little bit bitter about it but it's okay. Whatever. Now if none of that applies to you, like I'm, I'm I don't, you know I'm a Christian but I'm not going to a community group. I mean you can ask me a million times Pastor Paul and I'm not going to go. That's cool. I'll keep asking but you know and I'm probably not going to my home right now. Okay. How about a small step? How about something really, really simple? How many of you can bake cookies? Raise your hand. Be proud. Raise your hand. I can bake cookies. Maybe I should have asked more specifically. How many of you can bake cookies that people want to eat? <laughs> yeah, okay. Because I can bake cookies. But <laughs> or hockey pucks or whatever you want to call them. How about I just give you this, this real simple challenge. You want to apply this message? Sometime this week, bake a dozen cookies and take them to somebody that lives near you. Hmm. Pretty simple. You don't even have to mention the gathering. I mean, you can if they ask you, but if they say, why are you doing this? Ah, you know, I just want to give you some cookies. Are they poisoned? You can say, maybe. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> poisoned with love. Poisoned with love. Um, but just give them away. I mean, just take, take a simple step. Bake a dozen cookies. Take them to somebody that lives near you. Just simple, small steps. Here's what you're going to find. openness, openness leads to a contagious reaction. It leads to something that's beyond belief. That's what's happening in our community groups. It's contagious. Somebody opens their heart and starts sharing, and someone else will go, oh, I got a story. I I was down at Larry and Carol's, and this will come as no, no surprise if you know Larry and Carol, but, you know, I've heard Larry tell me this a couple times already, and then Carol was telling a story Wednesday night. About how, you know, just going through their day. Like Larry told me one time, I'm getting my hair cut. And the guy that's, that's cutting my hair, all of a sudden he's just telling me stuff. And he's just, the barber stopped and went, I don't know why I'm telling you this. You ever had that happen? People go, why am I saying all this to you? And Carol was telling the story about being at the gas station. And she gets in this conversation with this lady. And it's a long conversation. It's long enough that when she got in the car, Larry turned to her and said, like, who was that? And Carol said, I don't know. I just said... How are you doing? And instead of practice, practicing Southern hospitality, Carol practiced genuine hospitality and had a conversation with a lady and got in the car with a whole bunch of stuff to pray about with Larry about the woman that she had at the gas station. When you open your home, you will be amazed. When you start practicing genuine hospitality, you will be amazed at the people that will want to talk to you. They will I mean, you will be the person who, you're going into Walmart asking yourself, do I really want to ask how people are doing? Because if I ask them, they're probably going to tell me. But I want a church full of people like that. I want a church full of people that say, how are you doing? And they mean it so much that the people they asked just go, well, now that you mention it, you ever, um, this is a weird way to end a message, I know. But have you ever heard the expression diarrhea of the mouth? when you start talking, it can't stop. I'd like for people to have that around the gathering all the time. Not in the gathering, necessarily. (laughs) Nor even the other diarrhea, but um, specifically, I would like people to find themselves talking to people that come to the gathering and wondering when they get in the car, why why did I say all that? Because there's something about being comfortable around people that have true biblical hospitality that makes people want to sit and chat the lunch lady if you had to get a cookie from her you get it on the run right thanks the grandma you get it with lemonade with milk she has you sit down you don't even want stop to think about the fact that she could be a mass murderer portraying herself as a grandma. You just, And she says, how you doing? And you go, God, I'm so glad you asked. And 30 minutes later, you fell victim to genuine hospitality. And your heart is open. That's our prayer at the gathering, that you would open your home, open who you are the most. Genuine hospitality is something it can only happen when you offer something that is yours. It can be your time. It can be your, your energy. More times than not, in Scripture, it's your home. I want you to be praying this week, God, how can I open my home? Pray about it while you're baking a dozen cookies and taking it to somebody that lives near you.